right up folks step right up come closer you might miss something and we just wouldn't want that no siree no siree you do not want to miss a single second of this our main attraction here at the midway the one the only the dark ride i am your host the man with the voice made of real gold That's right, son, just step right up and you can hear him absolutely free of charge. Yours truly, Mr. Dark. We're ready to roll with episode three, and that means it's time for The Weird. If you'll just walk this way to the sideshow area of our carnival and pandemonium, we've got some interesting and bizarre things to show you. Don't be shy, don't be nervous, there's nothing here that will harm you, just keep your distance, just in case, you know? That's right, gang, it's time for the weird. This is more or less the beat I had on the old Brainwaves Paranormal and Horror Talk radio show a few years back, hosted by pop culture icon Steve Uncle Creepy Barton and author-slash-screenwriter Joe Netter. I'd bring about 30 minutes of weird news in the second half hour of the show, some of it serious, most of it to amuse the extremely immature senses of humor those two miscreants have. What we'll do here may skew just a tad bit more towards the serious, if only because the nature of the world today has gone dramatically darker. As I discovered over the course of that show, when events in the world would intensify, reports of the strange and unusual would drop. Bigfoot could be camped out in people's backyards, Nessie could be swimming in their swimming pools, ghosts could be doing yoga on their dining room tables, but people would just be too distracted by the negativity of the world around them to notice. Calm things down and suddenly cupboards would be flying open, shadow people would visit sleepers again, and Aunt Debbie would strike up her on-again, off-again affair with that ape man who lived in the woods behind her cabin. That said, there's always weird stuff out there, so... Let's get started. I'm going to kick things off with a very brief tutorial of sorts. If you're unfamiliar with the strange and unusual past Winona Ryder in Beetlejuice, here are some terms you might hear on these episodes every month. High strangeness is a term that comes up quite a bit in what we'll go ahead and dub paranormal circles. It's credited to ufologist J. Allen Hynek in the 1960s, but I'm not entirely sure he's actually the first to use it so much as he's the first to popularize it. It's used to denote a kind of general weirdness, a kind of almost organized sense of strangeness or oddity that starts to feel a little too coordinated. In the paranormal, high strangeness would be when things just get really weird. The events surrounding the Mothman sightings and the collapse of the Silver Bridge in Point Pleasant, West Virginia are a perfect example. 
if you've read John Keel's book, The Mothman Prophecies, and it's very, very different from the movie, then you get it. It's a cluster of extremely strange things happening in one place that don't seem to be related, but wow, that's some seriously strange stuff. High strangeness. It's the kind of thing those of us into this stuff look for as a sign that something, we don't know what, but something is going on. Fortian is the other big one I want to comment on. Charles Fort was a writer around the turn of the 20th century. He was a guy who got tired of very egotistical academics of the era shooting down reports of things in the world without ever leaving their universities. Impossible, they'd declare. Why? Because science! No examination of evidence or witness. They just knew better. So he set out to collect evidence of quote-unquote impossible things. He filled three rather large books with them. His take was simple. Here's a bunch of evidence. Here's a bunch of witnesses. Prove them wrong, science. No, no, don't tell me they're impossible. I'm not trying to prove anything. I'm providing evidence and witnesses. You are trying to prove them wrong, so the burden is on you. Do it. It was said by his friends when he died that he never believed a single thing he wrote about. However, he launched an entire school of thought, Fortean thought. I'm a Fortean. I look at many things that are paranormal, unknown, strange, etc., and simply say, okay, there you go. There's some evidence. I'm not saying I believe. I'm saying there's the evidence. What you do with it is up to you. I have beliefs and theories, but they aren't as important as actual evidence and reports. So that's what I want to bring you here. Stuff I find. Evidence. Reports. To amuse and amaze. And if you decide you're convinced, fine. If not, that's fine too. That's the Fortean way. But I'm not the guy with the crazy hair saying aliens like an evangelist. I'm the guy with no hair saying it ain't a drone. So, you tell me, Jack. First up, Jetpack Guy is back. After a bit of a break, he has returned to the skies over LAX. For those of you in Pleasant Hill, Jetpack Guy is, well, someone or something that appeared several times in the last couple of years hovering and flying in the skies over and around Los Angeles International Airport via according to multiple reports, a jetpack. While we supposedly lack such technology to fly as high or as long as this, well, we'll call him a person, supposedly was able to do, that didn't stop the reports. Attempts to apprehend him, as his flights were very illegal, failed completely. And now he is returned. Per Fox LA, at 2.45 p.m. last Thursday, air traffic control is reported to have said... We have heard that the jetpack man is back. I have a report of a jetpack 4,500 feet over a gate in the section, which is about six miles east of your present position right here. Some people say he might be a balloon, but pilots were making these reports, and professional pilots usually know the difference between a person with a jetpack and a balloon. Is this the last ride of the jetpack guy? Will he be apprehended? Is he just a balloon and the pilots reporting him have been taking advantage of California's broadly available recreational cannabis? Only time will tell. Now, in a little segment I like to call, Has Nobody Seen a Horror Film? 
we have this story out of Antarctica. Just the second you hear Antarctica, it's kind of a sinking, oh no, feeling, right? So much great horror has been created about that continent, and just absolutely zero feel-good happy stories. Okay, maybe some movies about penguins or something, but most of it's just real bad, right? This story is decidedly not about penguins. From LiveScience.com, the headline reads, Discovery of Hidden World Under Antarctic Ice Has Scientists Jumping for Joy. <laughs> they're, 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 they're jumping for joy. <laughs> that's, oh, that's great. I have several books and films to recommend to these scientists. Hold the jumping. You might wake something up. It sounds like they already did. Listen to this. A never-before-seen ecosystem lurks in an underground river deep below the icy surface in Antarctica. Researchers recently brought this hidden world into the light, revealing a dark and jagged cavern filled with swarms of tiny shrimp-like creatures. The scientists found the secret subterranean habitat tucked away beneath the Larsen ice shelf. Satellite photos showed an unusual groove in the ice shelf close to where it met with the land, and researchers identified the peculiar feature as a subsurface river. The team drilled down around 1,640 feet below the ice's surface using a powerful hot water hose to reach the underground chamber. When the researchers sent a camera down through the icy tunnel and into the cavern, hundreds of tiny blurry flecks in the water obscured the video feed. Initially, the team thought their equipment was faulty. But after refocusing the camera, they realized that the lens was being swarmed by tiny crustaceans known as amphipods. I wonder if H.P. Lovecraft created that term. This caught the team off guard, as they had not expected to find any type of life this far below the icy surface. Getting to observe and sample this river was like being the first to enter a hidden world, lead researcher Hugh Horgan told The Guardian. The climate is changing, and some key focal points are yet to be understood by science. But what is clear is that great changes are afoot. Yep, great changes. Uh-huh, they're afoot. Go ahead, drill around, hell, bring some up. Make friends. Ignore the voices in your head warning you of doom. Your eyes are supposed to bleed sometimes. When the madness starts, that's just cabin fever. Blow it off and keep looking around those unexpected caverns filled with unknown life deep beneath the ice. No worries at all. You just keep on carving the fetishes that make the old ones happy. It'll all work out just fine. Let's try to forget about potential spawn of the Elder Gods wreaking havoc at the South Pole and talk about something a little more pleasant. Demonic Possession The house that was the focus in the real-life case featured in the first Conjuring film has been sold to a new owner. Jacqueline Nunez, owner of Wonder Group LLC, purchased the Rhode Island home for $1.525 million far higher than the $1.2 million asking price. 
Nunez plans to continue the paranormal business the couple she bought it from, the Heinzens, started. Guests will be able to continue the nightly paranormal investigations, day tours will resume, and there will be live-streamed events. The Heinzens, who bought the home in 2019, will remain involved. Nunez said, This purchase is personal for me. It's not a real estate development. It's around my own beliefs. The house, of course, was owned by the Perrin family in the 1970s. During that time, a number of dramatic paranormal events happened which were investigated by Ed and Lorraine Warren. Their notes on the case were used to create the first Conjuring film. Perrin daughter Andrea has written her own book on the incidents, House of Shadows, House of Light, which deviates from the Warren version in some ways and agrees in others, but overall the family remained close to the Warrens until Ed and Lorraine's deaths. Both took part in the making of the film. The house has had a mixed history following the ownership of the Perrin family, with some owners stating absolutely nothing abnormal happened, while others said the opposite. As stated by new owner Nunez, the home has been available for researchers and paranormal <coughs> enthusiasts for the past couple of years, pandemic notwithstanding. Do you dare confront whatever lies within the home that inspired one of the most terrifying films in the last couple of decades? If you want to take a trip up to Rhode Island, it looks like you might be able to take that chance. From the devil to the skies, we need to discuss something that's actually a little serious. Unless you're from Pleasant Hill, you should know that the Department of Defense officially announced that yes, we have video of flying objects, now dubbed UAPs, or Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, can't use that UFO word, that we cannot explain, we cannot identify, they do things we can't do, we can't catch them, we can't defeat them, and this is a problem. Congress recently had an open hearing about them, which is also kind of a massive deal, given how previously the government's response to anything involving things in the sky that didn't match known technology was to giggle and call the reporting person a loony. So this is kind of a major step. However, there's been a major swing back in the other direction. A massive document has been quote-unquote leaked. It appears to be a document that was supposed to be posted to an internal Navy server for review to see if the redactions within are okay before releasing said redacted document in response to a Freedom of Information Act request. Except, oopsie, this doc was placed in a public folder with those redactions in a kind of temporary state where simply highlighting then copying and pasting left the redacted stuff open for viewing to anyone. So much for classified material, someone sure is fired. This not-so-classified-anymore document is chock-full of information on UAP activity with ships in the Pacific off the coast of California. Gold mine, you say? This is the jackpot, right? Here's the deal. This massive document is chock-full of information on UAP activity. That is entirely 100% no questions asked the activity of drones. Mostly standard quadcopter drones, sometimes commercial drones being piloted by jerks in fishing boats. The rest, 99% certainty advanced drones being flown by China off of Hong Kong registered shipping vessels for surveillance to get a peek at our ships, to see if we have any anti-drone tech, and to test their drone tech. They knew we saw them, they just wanted to see what we do in response. We didn't do squat, although the docs made it clear we did have extremely cutting-edge anti-drone weapons on board, and we were capturing those drones' control frequencies to use in said tech. Gee, thanks China for the help mastering our cool new gadgets. Hope you enjoyed your blurry pictures. 
This makes the previous releases look like, oh, well, see, they were just drones. Congress, they were showing a ton of this. See, advanced drones. That thing that looks like a triangle? Three drones flown closely together in sync, so they show as one triangle on radar and photos. You get the idea. This stock was likely left out there and everyone took the bait for, well, about six hours. Not everyone is an idiot, so they saw this for what it was, muddying the waters. See, these drones didn't roll at six times the speed of sound like the ones released last year did. They didn't go underwater or come back out. They didn't come to a dead halt after moving hundreds of miles an hour in defiance of several laws of physics, etc. And now we've got this story out of, okay, yes, the Daily Mail. I know. British tabloid. I know we generally can't trust them, but sometimes they leak this stuff because they're willing to and no U.S. outlet will touch this stuff for fear of losing every single government and military contact they have in payback. A guy named Jeremy Corbell has been making movies about stuff in the sky for a while, and he's behind this story, which is why I give it credence. He's got all of these vets to go on record, sometimes anonymously, although he knows who they are, to say this is all a pile of horse pucky. Sailors on board a fleet of Navy warships sailing off the Southern California coast in July 2019 witnessed several of the ships being swarmed by a host of unidentified flying objects. This is from the story in the Daily Mail. The incident went on for hours and then happened again and again throughout the month with craft hovering and zipping around near the fleet flashing multicolored lights. Navy chiefs have tried to explain away the incident, with the deputy director for naval intelligence saying he was, quote, reasonably confident that the objects were drones. But documentary filmmaker Jeremy Corbell, in an exclusive interview with DailyMail.com, says that crews from the ships have told him the swarms of at least 100 UFOs possessed unexplainable capabilities far beyond traditional drones. I don't care if these were drones or true UFOs, pyramids, triangles, or even seagulls with lights strapped onto their wings. I want the fundamental question to be answered. Do we know the controllers of these units, he said. According to Corbell sources and the Navy's own documents released under the Freedom of Information Act, these craft's capabilities included hovering at altitudes of up to 21,000 feet, flying for more than four hours, traveling long distances in one flight, and apparently being impervious to anti-drone Navy technology. The Navy documents show the freight ship Bass Strait was docked in Long Beach, California, about 100 miles away when some of the incidents occurred, making Corbell's contacts skeptical it could have been the source of the swarm. That's the ship I was talking about that was blamed as being the source of the Chinese surveillance. Corbell paraphrased one witness on the destroyer, the USS Russell, who key claims told them they saw one of the craft accelerate instantaneously into the upper atmosphere, and that other sources with knowledge of the case said the objects were detected moving from the air into the sea. One of the biggest mysteries about the drones is how they were able to hold enough power to fly for so long, high, fast, and far. A crewman with direct knowledge of the case, who spoke to DailyMail.com on condition of anonymity, said, We don't yet have enough information to say whether this is man-made technology or not, but the amazing energy capacity of these craft is world-changing regardless. A senior staffer at a U.S. defense contractor who is an expert in military technology 
told DailyMail.com they believed the craft that hovered above the Russell were, quote, much more advanced than a traditional drone. The contractor, who has not to be named due to their job sensitivity, said modified quadcopters can fly as high as 30,000 feet, but only for short periods. The best quadcopter battery lasts an hour or so, the source said. Climbing four miles takes time, and once the vehicle reached that altitude, it would struggle to maintain a fixed or slow-moving position over the ship as the wind speed increased. Footage of a radar screen detecting a swarm over the USS Omaha in July 2019 shows nine drones moving up to 138 knots, more than 158 miles an hour, with winds of 31 knots. Maintaining position under such conditions would increase the energy burn and greatly limit the time on target to just a few minutes, especially considering the quadcopter has to return to its point of origin. In addition, the reports mention the vehicle was illuminated, further increasing its power drain, the defense contractor added. The military tech expert said top quadcopters have a maximum range of about 7 miles, meaning their launch site would have to be near the warships. The vessel would have been easily detected as well as the launch of the quadcopter, they said. Considering these limitations, I don't think the illuminated vehicle that hovered four miles above the ship for a prolonged period could have been a traditional quadcopter. They just don't have the range or the staying power. It had to be a much more advanced aircraft. Sum it all up, the Navy leaked a document supposedly classified that said everything was a quadcopter. They went before Congress and said, yeah, they're all quadcopters. And here's this filmmaker with witnesses coming out his ears saying, yeah, Jack, that was not any quadcopter. That's a bunch of nonsense. So we're back to last year and those videos showing things that we absolutely cannot explain, cannot recreate, cannot defend against, and they're still buzzing our ships and all our military can do is snow job everyone they can, which means they don't have diddly squat. Man, I'm just so happy we give them trillions every year. Sounds like it's money well spent. And now, to wrap this one up, we're going all the way back to the Brainwaves days, to a story that never stopped. Looking into it, it restarted back then, but traces back to the 19th century in mid-America. Wrap your noodles around that one. That's right, the Chicago Phantom is still flying the friendly skies over Chi-Town and the surrounding areas when he's not creepy-crawling all over the ground and freaking people right the hell out. The right and decent gentleman Lon Strickler is still doing the good lord's work over at Phantoms and Monsters tracking the winged menace, as he has been for many a year now. We interviewed him back in the day on Brainwaves about this case, and he's still the go-to guy on the issue. Go to phantomsandmonsters.com for all things Chicago Phantom, as well as a number of other weird critters Lon has been researching, and links to his own podcast and merch and other goodies. In the meantime, here is the latest sighting of the black-winged boogeyman from Lon's site from June 9th of this year. Very recent. Here's the gist of it. Dark-colored winged being sighted over St. Joseph Cemetery in River Grove, Illinois. A man and his fiancée are riding along West Belmont Avenue near St. Joseph Cemetery in River Grove, Illinois, when he observes a dark-colored winged being flying high above the cemetery. Here's the story from The Witness. Hello, my name's R.C. I have lived in Franklin Park, Illinois for a few years now and have been following all the Chicago Mothman sightings. 
I had a day off work on April 20th this year, and my fiancé and I were driving on West Belmont Avenue going east around 9 a.m. It was West Belmont Avenue right after River Road. I was looking out the window, my fiancé was driving, and I saw over St. Joseph Cemetery flying high up this black thing. At first I thought it might have been a drone, but the way it was flying I could tell it was not any kind of aircraft or bird that I've ever seen. It was all black, but I could see it had wings, but I couldn't see any other features and no head. It wasn't flapping its wings either, it was just flying extremely fast at an angle. I yelled to my fiancé, do you see that? She couldn't see it as it was almost gone, plus she was driving. I said, I think that's the Mothman thing everyone is seeing. It has to be. But she dismissed it and said I was crazy. I really thought about not reporting it until this morning when I saw someone reported three of these black things. The video is exactly what I saw, except it was only one I saw, not three like the person and his daughter in Bensonville. I'm not an artist, but as the days were passing, I decided to draw what I saw. I've enclosed the pic I drew on my phone. It was just this black thing. I didn't take a picture or video because it would have just been a small dot with how fast it was flying into the clouds. Lon's page includes the sketch, which is very rudimentary. The list of sightings has gotten extremely long over the years, and many are very public in nature. Lollapalooza, O'Hare Airport, Adler Planetarium, Willis Tower, Lincoln Park Zoo. Multiple witnesses at a time, pilots, police officers, photos, video. It's getting hard to deny that people are seeing something flying around, and sometimes on the ground, that can only be described as a jet-black humanoid with wings in Illinois, Indiana, and the surrounding areas, sometimes more than one of the things at a time. I'll be following all of these stories and looking out for any other high strangeness as time goes on to bring you here on The Weird every month. Okay, okay, step away from the exhibits, you rubes. It's closing time. Even the freaks need their rest. Run along home now. Run along to your safe little picket fences and TV dinners. The lot of you. We've got to wash out the geek cage, let the bearded lady brush things out, and make sure any sneaks or lollygaggers get to see the special <clears throat> feeding show at the reptile tent. Don't you worry, though. I'll be back here next week for... Oh, oh, oh dear. This, this is it. Next week is the fourth and final week in the first month. That means next week is anything goes. That, that, that means, why, that means I can do anything. Anything at all. Whatever I like. And you, you'll have to listen to it. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> All of it. Every last minute. <laughs> Anything I come up with and you'll listen to all of it. All oh, you poor lost. <laughs> um, sorry. Yes. Well, next week. Anything goes. We'll just, um, have to see. Yes. Yes, we will. These are the credits. Don't skip them. These people are important. All content written, produced, recorded, and otherwise the responsibility of Justin Dark, for this is a Dark Production Company. 
All Rights Reserved 2022. Podcast logo courtesy of Evangelist 7. Thanks, Jimmy. Production company logo and artwork courtesy of Designs That Kill. Thanks, Laura and Tyler. Contact us at darkproductionco at gmail.com or on Twitter or Facebook at darkprodco. That's D-A-R-K-P-R-O-D-C-O. Darkprodco. You get it. Contact us there. This is a dark podcast.